the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Thursday, March 16th, 2023. I am Seth Leibson. 602-508-0960 is the number. If you'd like to join the conversation or add to it in any way, 602-5080-960. Bill, welcome back. Glad to have you. Hope you had a good day off. I um, would normally ask you if you did anything interesting, read any good books, went on any good travels, or saw any great movies, but I, at this point, know the answer which really explains, interestingly enough, I don't know if people have made this connection or if you have, while most people come back from a vacation saying things like, I need another vacation from my vacation, because they were so active during it, you do, you come back with all the vim and vigor in the world. You, you're doing it right. You just do nothing. Nothing. You treat your vacation day like a Seinfeld episode. Yeah, it's a vacation, and you come back with recondite rest. I love it. A topic I have not spent a lot of time on with you in recent memory here. If I might quote from Fox News this morning, quote, Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs is facing criticism for planning to disregard a court order authorizing the execution of one Aaron Gunches, Gunches the man convicted in the November 2002 killing of Ted Price near Mesa. Over the past week, lawyers for Maricopa County Attorney Rachel Mitchell and Karen Price, the sister of the victim, have told the Arizona Supreme Court that Hobbs does not have the legal authority to defy the order. In a statement to the AP, Price, again, this is uh, the sister of the victim, Price said the relief her family felt when the court scheduled Gunch's execution was dashed. By Hobbs' announcement, not only has our family been victimized by inmate gunches and the emotional aftermath of Ted's murder, we are now being victimized by the governor's failure to recognize and uphold our constitutional rights to justice and finality, Price said. For Karen Price, all of this does come bitter and hard. You see, for Karen, the road to justice has been long and filled with trauma. We have been told, guaranteed over the years, that the arc of morality may be long, but that it does bend toward justice. Governor Hobbs is bending it the opposite way. Karen's brother, Ted, was murdered in cold blood in November 2002. Aaron Gunches shot Ted four times. Three of the shots were to the chest, one to the back of the head. Each shot on its own would have been enough to kill Ted. Gunches left Ted's body, but stopped off at a dumpster to discard Ted's belongings. Ted's body wasn't discovered for weeks. This is the murderer Governor Hobbs is intervening to save the life of, and Karen Price is the next victim whose right to justice the governor is trampling upon. In Arizona, a crime victim has the right to justice and the right to a prompt and final conclusion to the case after a conviction and sentence. 
In early 2008, more than five years after Ted's murder, more than four years after the indictment, Gunches was sentenced to death. In 2010, the Supreme Court upheld the convictions and kidnapping sentences, but remanded the case for a new penalty phase. Gunches was again sentenced to death in August of 2013. The Supreme Court upheld his death sentence yet again in 2016. Now, seven years later, Gunches still stands ready to be executed. With the penalty and the procedure having been upheld by several courts, there is no constitutional or any other legal or moral barrier to his execution except and only except Governor Hobbs. The Constitution of Arizona, a constitution Hobbs has sworn to uphold, recognizes that a victim has the right to justice. This is a promise made, a promise that has deep roots in our history. It was to establish justice that our national constitution was formed. As James Madison wrote in The Federalist, justice is the end of government. It is the end of civil society. It has ever been and ever will be pursued until it be obtained or until liberty, liberty be lost in the pursuit. And what is justice? From time immemorial, the definition has remained constant to each his due. As Cicero put it, justice is the set and constant purpose which gives every man his due. The Price family was failed by a society of order and law. We are now failing them again by a misplaced and disoriented conscientiousness toward the man who took their due, who took an innocent life. Our criminal laws are a promise, a promise to society promise to the innocent and the civil, a promise to perpetrators, and a promise to victims. Those promises include certain punishments for crimes set by the people through their legislature and representatives and the juries and the courts, and once imposed, punishment is due. That is what we call process. That is what we call due process. That is what we call justice. This is all our and every victim's right. These are not mere suggestions or even wishes. They are commitments and promises, and they are oaths. We are speaking of the fundamental law of our state and the sworn duty of the governor to protect and enforce it. Across the front of the Arizona Supreme Court building, these words are etched in marble. Where law ends, tyranny begins. The words come from John Locke in his two treatises on government. The full quote, Wherever law ends, tyranny begins. If the law be transgressed to another's harm, and whosoever in authority exceeds the power given him by the law, and makes use of the force he has under his command to compass that upon the subject which the, which the law allows not, ceases in that to be a magistrate, and acting without authority may be opposed as any other man who by force invades the right of another. Governor Hobbs simply does not have the unilateral or moral power to end the death penalty in Arizona, specifically in this case, or generally, which is what she is trying to do with this specific case. By usurping the judgment of the law and morality itself, 
herself. Governor Hobbs is engaging in what is called an arrogation of power, arrogation of power, which is a breaking of faith, a breaking of an oath. Spend a moment on that word, arrogation, as in arrogation of power. It literally means taking to oneself more than one is due. More than one is due. The opposite of justice. It's from the Latin, erogationem. Due process is assaulted and insulted via this arrogance, the cognate of arrogation. Due process, which is the procedural understandings of law that apply to all of society, is being usurped as a process due only to oneself. That is arrogation. That is arrogance. That is not civil society. That is not democracy. That is not rule of the people. That is not singular equal standards. That is not justice. It is fiat. That is rule by seizure of power. That is majesty. And in the process of all this, Governor Hobbs is not only administering or governing, she is betraying her oath, which lands as a betrayal to and of the Price family, and a betrayal really to all of us. An oath of faith and expectation, a dependence has been broken. We take the specific to see the general here. To take a step back on the morality of the death penalty here, I pray I paraphrase some words from Professor Hadley Arcus, Professor of Jurisprudence Emeritus at Amherst College, often a guest here. What we are trying to say with this ultimate penalty, what we are trying to say to the civil and innocent as well as to the guilty and the potentially guilty. You've done something so wrong, so deeply and egregiously wrong, that no member of the innocent human race can share the earth with you. We cannot exist together because we cannot live together, and we cannot live together because of your guilty actions, not our innocent ones. You are the one taking life, not us. This is an argument that can be made by people who have no passion to execute or any particular satisfaction in the building of jails or prisons. To refuse to apply this standard of justice diminishes our sense of the depth of the wrong in a murder that was done as well as diminishes the sense of the innocence of the victims. Capital punishment is a form of justice trying to grasp as equitably as possible in the scale of things the match of a just result to an unjust act in a society that calls itself just. Deliberate and vicious evil, killing, has only one such match. To scale down the sense of the justice or correctness of the punishment is to scale down the sense of the injustice and wrong done to the victims. In the presence of a real killer, it simply cannot be out of scale, and thus we must must say with Hannah Arendt, we simply cannot share the earth with you. If we cannot summon at least that kind of conviction, we run the risk of subtly and then pronouncedly sliding into a diminishing of the victim and all potential victims and elevating the value of the life of the, of the destroyer of the civil, the destroyer of 
of the social compact we all expect and depend upon. In fact, we devalue the life of the victim and elevate the life of the assailant of the victim at the same exact time. In the scale of things, the deaths of the innocent and their surviving victims are not something a just society can ignore, lest we slide into an amoral or anti-moral blurring of the distinctions between the evil and the just, the criminal and the victim. A slide that leads to more than a blurring, that leads rather to an erasing, not only of wrongdoing, but of suffering. And any society called to those distinctions, as I fear we rapidly are becoming, is the kind of society it took us literal millennia to study, to learn from, to overcome, and to redress, so as to recognize it as the kind of the society in the light of our modern morality as horrific. For us today, to then adopt and repeat the very bases of that immorality of the past we find so easy to condemn today in the light of a day, is an unwitting, if not ignorant, regression and stupidity. The victims of cold-blooded murders are more than our fellow citizens. They are our brothers. They are our sisters. And they could, if their rights are not vindicated and the wrongs done to them not retributed easily one day, much more than that, they could become one of us. The Price family deserves more than that. In fact, we all do. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Bill just asked me, uh, we went on a good long run the other day, um, Hugh Holman and I did, and uh, this was our base camp, wasn't it? It was a double workout day, and Bill just asked me if I'm sore after a day like that. No, because of my favorite drug, Advil. <laughs> that is not a recommendation. That's just, that's the secret to my, uh, on those double workout days, I do pop a couple. Uh, I hope that's okay to say that, but that is the answer. It does. But it, general advice, if you are super sore after a major double workout, um, I know I'm not supposed to give medical advice, but that is the secret to what I do. I take a couple Advil before sleep on those nights. Not routinely. <laughs> not routinely. Once or twice a week. If anyone thinks uh, that's a bad idea, take it up with me later. Um, you know how you know we're not a serious country? You know we're not a serious country when Stephen Colbert – I don't even know if he's a comedian. Is he a comedian? He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a comical talk show host, but he's comical not because he's funny. He's comical because he's not funny, thinking he's funny. But you know we're not a serious country when he has a serious constitutional official on his show – and is more serious than that constitutional official. He had Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, on last night. Did some of you catch this? He asks her an interesting question. What do you see as the duty of the vice president? And he leads up to it by asking if she's a fan of the HBO – is it HBO or Showtime? The Julia, Julia Louise-Dreyfus series Veep. It's it's a, one of those TV shows. It's a comic view of the vice president. And Kamala Harris, of course, has met Julia Louise-Dreyfus and, of course, laughingly is a fan of that show. 
Anyway, goes on to answer Stephen Colbert as to what the duties of the vice presidency are. The show is that her character, uh, Selena Meyer, is frustrated by the sometimes vague duties of the role. Like it's a it's a high constitutional office, but it's not prescribed so much about what you're supposed to be doing. Is, is that ring true? Like what does to, what is the actual role on a daily basis as you have found it? Well, I have the great privilege of serving with Joe Biden, who was president of the United States. Of course, yeah, that's an applause line. Right. A, f- a fact is an applause line. Right. Exactly right. But, and and was vice president, right? Does that affect so, it? Does, it? does he understand what it's like to does, be a vice president? He does. And he is, he really is a true partner. He's the partner. He's her partner. Okay, just as you as you understand the kind of mind we're dealing with here. And he understands the job. And remember, we came in during the height of the pandemic. Yes. And so, so much of the work was about, okay, we've got to cover a lot of bases and let's figure out how between us we can do it. But he is um, an extraordinary leader. And I wish that people could see what I see because uh, there's only one person who sits behind that resolute death. Is an extraordinary leader someone who is only extraordinary to the one or two people who interact with him? Or is an extraordinary leader someone who everyone appreciates as an extraordinary leader? Isn't that a function of leadership? Having people know that you're a leader, not just the people who walk in and out of your office and get to see you when you're at the Resolute Desk. Small issue. We're not there yet. Bear with. And the decisions that that person has to make are the decisions that nobody else in the country can make. And he's an extraordinary leader. Hold on. Wait for it. That's an excellent. That's an excellent answer. And uh, the question was, what is the job of the vice president? There you go. Your answer is part of the job, I'm guessing. Your answer is part of the job. That She missed what he meant there. You get what he meant there. Your answer is just to build up and defend and support someone we all know as an emperor without any clothes. But good for him for at least saying, you know, getting her to cackle through her wrong answer, which is when I asked you what your job was, all you did was talk about what someone else's job was. This is the leadership we have, and we have left the serious follow-up questions to the Stephen Colberts of the world. O tempore omores. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Our uh, good friend, uh, Bethany Mandel was uh, made sport of on social media today because she was doing an interview yesterday and um, by her own admission uh, flubbed an answer on how she would define the term woke. And uh, quite honestly, I mean, it's hard to defend a term that has so many different meanings that was foisted upon us by a movement we are not of. I get why the brain would slow down on it. Uh, there's any number of ways to define it. Uh, it's the embracement of progressive policies to a fairly well in a society that uh, used to base itself on common sense. But, you know, this notion that it is a phrase we conservatives have come up with, or this notion that this is a pejorative conservatives use, is just a little bit too much revisionism 
for my taste, and Abe Greenwald's over at Commentary. He does a great – it's just – I'm going to read it to you. It's, it's, it's really very good and worth reminding of everyone. Bethany will get more criticism for flubbing the definition of the word woke today, which is not her movement's word, our movement's word, than will Vice President Kamala Harris for being unable to define the role of the vice presidency on a late-night talk show. That's, that's the world we live in, by the way. It's time to let America's amnesiac wokesters in on a secret. They embraced the term woke. They defined it. They wrapped themselves in it. They screamed it from the rooftops and invented it and invested it with religious passion. The rest of us merely responded. The woke, having forgotten all this, are now charging conservatives with inventing or distorting the word and using it as a semi-racist right-wing boogeyman term. MSNBC's Alex Wagner, for example, claims that conservatives know that woke ideas are sensible but don't have to acknowledge as much if they don't define the word. At the Washington Post, Philip Bump says woke simply describes anything that is inherently alarming to the right. Also at the Washington Post, Ashley Parker and Liz Goodwin write that conservatives began using woke in pejorative terms to undermine black and liberal ideals. And Candace Watts-Smith, author of Stay Woke, A People's Guide to Making All Black Lives Matter, says that the word evokes black folks or blackness and on other things kinds of kind of spills over. The association, she says, isn't accidental. I, I've never really thought of it as a BLM thing, but in any event, these writers have got the players all wrong, Abe writes. It's the left that believes woke policies are sensible. It's the left that has stretched the word to encompass a range of progressive ideas. And it's the left that warmed to the term in part because of its racial confusion. In 2014, after the fatal shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, the hashtag stay woke became a digital rallying cry around Black Lives Matter activism. Then in the Trump years, progressives freed the slogan from its BLM context and deployed it wherever needed, which is why you'd see pieces in the New York Times such as In Defense of Woke by Damon Young. In 2017, a photo of a baby wearing a Stay Woke sign at a Women's March event went viral. Stacey Abrams spoke at something called the Stay Woke rally in 2018 when the pandemic hit in 2020, hashtag stay home, hashtag stay woke appeared on liberal Twitter. By the time George Floyd was killed, every white liberal interested in signaling his revolutionary sympathies was advertising his wokeness. As Asha Romano noted candidly in Vox in October of 2020, woke has evolved into a single-word summation of leftist political ideology centered on social justice politics and critical race theory. The framing of woke is bipartisan. It's used as a shorthand for political progressiveness by the left and as a denigration of leftist culture by the right. That's what they wrote in Vox in 2020. And that has its own currency of truth. Let me come back to that on the other side of this break. As I go to break, let me put in a word for our good friends at the Midas Gold Group with Biden's State of the Union speech as well as his budget. He has doubled down on spending plans, which does not bode well for the value 
of your money. It's a disconnected view of the economy. That means there will be no meaningful steps taken to lessen inflation and lower interest rates, and your cash reserves and investments will be worth less, which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to see about safeguarding your money with the stability of gold. Gold traditionally holds its value, and when economies fail, guarding against the destruction of inflation and the ruin of a recession stands gold. Don't let Biden's misguided economy wipe you out. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group, MidasGoldGroup.com, or better yet, call them at 480-360-3000, Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm reading about uh, the history of wokeism here to you. Abe uh, Greenwald over at Commentary did a great piece reminding uh, the woke, the left, the progressives, that this is their term, not ours. Um, Back in the Trump days, both sides understood that wokeness had become a leftist catch-all term. Conservatives still do, but the left decided to erase its own role in this history. Why? Because soon after 2020, wokeness became an embarrassment and a political liability. The country started to reject the widespread radical project. In November 2021, Republican Glenn Youngkin was elected governor of Virginia. At the time, Democratic strategist James Carville was asked what went wrong. He said, quote, well, what went wrong is the stupid wokeness. Some of these people need to go to a woke detox center or something, close quote. But short of detox, There's also wishful thinking. Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez responded to Carville by claiming that woke was, quote, a term almost exclusively used by older people these days, close quote. The left has been trying to fight the term ever since, pretending that it's something cooked up by racist right-wingers to discredit their opponents. As we get closer to the 2024 election, we're going to see more of this revisionism. Sorry. Wokesters, live by the hashtag, die by the hashtag. It's not our fault that you made yourselves easy targets of parody and derision. You took every scattered strain of ill-considered social justice leftism from defunding the police to erasing biological sex, put it in a box, wrapped it in a bow, and labeled it woke. And it turned out to be a gift to the right. Next time someone on the left asks you to define wokeness, ask him or her, To define woman, or man, or mother, or father. And when he can't, or she can't, tell him that's your definition of woke. Quite right. They invented the hashtag, and now they're mad at us for using it. Uh, Before I get on to some other stuff, email from listener Bill Hi, Seth. I haven't called the show lately. Been listening. I wanted to mention a couple of books. First one is Ron DeSantis' book, which it seems to me he's putting out there as his resume. I heard a woman on radio the other day uh, that was a Trump supporter but wasn't sure about DeSantis because, after all, he went to Yale and Harvard. I wish I could have recommended his book to her because his story concerning his liberal education is very interesting. Uh, yeah, well, you know, holding colleges against people is going to be a little bit difficult generally, not 
everyone, as we say, represents the ethics and ethos of the college they went to. I would be an example of that. The law school I went to is the most woke law school in the country. I'm probably one of the least woke people in the country. And hard to hold Ivy League against DeSantis. Donald Trump went to an Ivy League college as well. Let's not forget. These books, by the way, they're interesting stories. Um, they're, the interesting thing about them, DeSantis is, is uh, I guess, doing well, becoming a bestseller. But almost every Almost every uh, presidential candidate will have a campaign book. Donald Trump has several, <laughs> by the way, and has a couple more in the offing. It looks like he has one coming out called Letters to Donald Trump or something like that, uh, a compilation of uh, nice letters people have written. But every candidate does this. Uh, it's its own – I was going to say cottage industry, but with so many people running for president, it's hardly a cottage industry – anymore. I've been tasked, they're almost always ghostwritten, I've been tasked to write a couple uh, over the course of my career. And, um, you know, they're, they're generally, they're generally, uh, for those that don't know anything about the candidate, it, it, you know, take a read, you know, if you're interested in the candidate, take a read, you'll learn more about them and all learning is good. But these aren't going to be books that last forever. Um, these these aren't uh, you know these aren't the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. Let us say uh, these aren't um, these the, these aren't uh, the autobiographies of ex presidents. Some of which are better than others. Um, anyway, all right. Well, more on that. We're gonna ha- we're gonna have a um, well, yeah okay. More on that in a moment. Let me let me let me say something about this news. That Mark Kelly is making, and I saw he was interviewed, Senator Mark Kelly, I saw he was interviewed on Brett Baer earlier today, uh, talking about the money he's gotten this year to help secure and fund the border. What's taken so long? What has taken so dang long? These people have been in office for over two years, and they have had the Congress and Senate since 2018. What is taking so damn long? Is it because of its necessity as a campaign theme? What do you for those that complain about cynicism in our politics? Yeah, of course, we have this a little bit in our party. We t- talked about it some yesterday, but not nearly as much as the Democrats do in their party that when it comes time to think about an election, when the election time comes, comes comes uh, closer to the windshield they 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 start ditching this this woke progressive agenda that they that they attempt for the first 2 years that they are in power and start sounding just a little bit more here and there like the common sense the american people are looking for this is why someone for example like marianne williamson can run against Joe Biden. She can point to a few things here and there that Joe Biden is leaving the progressive movement on. For example, he is not talking about Medicare for all. Between Marianne Williamson and Ramesh Panuru, they take this as a great sign that the Democratic Party is abandoning socialism. I'll believe it when I see them abandoning the National Education Association, and when I see them going after the nonsense that Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and other Republicans have gone after. Once they start taking on the real serious issues of where the woke policies really do take place every single day, every single solitary day in this nation, 
particularly in our schools, then I will take them seriously. I was trying to, my friend uh, Jim sent me a um, just an example of, of a story the other day of a teacher, public school teacher, who... Um, public school teacher who proudly boasts of communist indoctrination on his social media pages and one news outlet picked it up and uh, the funny thing is or the sad thing is that when one news organization picks up one teacher one public school teacher doing this I will tell you there's probably a thousand stories that could be written about a thousand teachers doing this in almost every state if not in even smaller, more local areas. This is a big... When the Democrats start going after the woke, progressive policies in our schools, then I'll believe they've ditched socialism. They haven't. And it's not just because they aren't talking about Medicare for all. I guarantee you this. If they win again, that's what they will do. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You've probably been hearing me talk a lot about Y-Refi for a while now, and if you still have questions about what it could mean for you to invest with them, they would love it if you would give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34, and they will happily put you in touch with any number of their very satisfied clients and customers in the Phoenix area that have been investing with them and have done quite well by doing so. They'd also like me to point out that if you're thinking about your IRA, you can have your IRA earning strong fixed interest rates that are not dependent on the Fed or Joe Biden's economy. You can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds, and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax Deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R E F Y.com, or give them a call at 888 YREFI 34. That's 888 YREFI 34. I was just kind of noticing uh, a little bit here and there. Um, that this is the anniversary, three-year anniversary, of 15 days to slow the spread. And the press conference that uh, Fauci and Burks and Trump launched that day, three years ago, this day, three years ago, that really commenced one of the greatest lies we were ever told, one of the greatest disasters ever imposed on this nation, giving credence again to Lincoln's thesis at the Lyceum in his Lyceum address in 1838 that if destruction be our lot, we will be its author and finisher. We did that to ourselves. We could have led the world on this. Instead, we followed too much of the wrong parts of the world on this. What did Jay Bhattacharyas write today? On the third anniversary of the catastrophically failed lockdowns, we should remember that the policy was a choice. A gamble with the lives of the poor, of kids, and the working classes at stake. So many embraced trickle-down epidemiology to devastating effect. How many of you have gotten apologies from those who shamed you for doubting 
that trickle-down epidemiology. Has anyone in the... I'd love to know. Anyone in earshot? Bill, did you ever get an apology for anyone who got mad at you for saying, you know, I'm not so sure about this? You know, we could be doing more harm than good. You ever get any? I haven't. Not still not one. Oh, me neither. Me neither. Don't go away. We have a lot more coming right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.